Welcome to Shekinah International Podcast. Our ministry reflects the five-fold ministry model Apostle Paul mentions in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Our podcast features leaders from multiple churches who are passionate about equipping Christians just like you to walk in purity and power, fulfilling your God-given purpose. God wants to do great exploits through you, so enjoy today's podcast. That, um, that the Jewish people will not disappear until the sun and the moon disappear. It's, uh, you know, they are not done yet because, um, because the new Jerusalem will have will be built on the foundations of the prophets and the gates will be named after the tribes of Israel. And do they deserve it? They don't deserve it. But God deserves it because God is faithful. And so what can we say? You know, I mean, it's, um, as they say in a different way, if God is for us, who can be against us, right? So I want to put on my yarmulke. Is that okay? Okay, and <laughs> sorry, let me see. This I could have been more prepared, but um, <laughs> I am kind. Whoops, Our stuff. And so I need three things. I need I need a yamaka. I need I need some help from Stephanie. <laughs> and of course, I need the exciting socks that Lyra bought me for me. <laughs> okay. So, um, just a second. Uh oh. Now I know them. Um, and oh, where's the clicker? Oh, here it is. Okay. Let me share, see if I know how to click this. I mean, I should, you would think, but hey, yeah. okay. So just, I'm almost there. Just give me a minute. Better throw my notes. <laughs> That's because you're smart. I, someday I'll be as... I'll be smart like you. And so anyway, um, so today is all about the holidays. And, um, and as you all know, in Leviticus 23, there's eight holidays described. The first one is the Sabbath, you know, and then comes um, Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of First Fruits and uh, Shavuot and then Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur and Sukkot. And as you know, these paint an eschatological sequence because uh, Jesus was the Passover lamb. And when he died, he, um, he was that perfect spotless lamb. And just as in the days of old, in the days of Egypt, when they were departing, you know, where the blood of the lamb was painted on the doorposts and the spirit of death could not kill the firstborn, um, Jesus is painted on the doorposts of our hearts. When God looks at our hearts, he doesn't see wickedness, 
He sees redemption. He sees righteousness. He sees the work that Jesus did for us. He's, he's not ashamed of us, but he's proud of us. You know, we were willing to, he offered salvation to us, and our heart said yes. So I want to talk about these three holidays. The first four holidays are the Feast of Unleavened, I mean, are the, yeah, Feast of Unleavened Bread and Passover. Jesus became the Passover. You know, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is the first day after the Shabbat that follows Passover. And so since Shabbat is on Saturday, then then Feast of First Fruits would always have to be a Sunday. And Jesus rose on Sunday, the first day of the week. And then there was the countdown, the 49 days, which was seven weeks, because the word Shavuot in Hebrew means weeks. And so there's a countdown of the Omar, 49 <laughs> 49 of these, and on the 50th day was Shavuot, which was the day that Moses received the Ten Commandments. And just as God is perfect in his timing, on the same day, on that 50th day, Shavuot, uh, we receive the Holy Spirit. So the church is born on the Feast of First Fruits because who was the first fruit? It was Jesus himself. He was buried and then he, um, you know, he died, he buried, was buried, and he rose from the grave. And all of us have died to this world. We've been buried with Christ. We've been raised in newness of life. He's the feast of first fruits. And the church is birthed at Pentecost, and then it grows through the, the summer months of harvest, you know, that's the time of the Gentiles. Finally in the fall, you know, the, um, the, the believers of this world, you know, were raptured. And, uh, and then comes that final week is the week of um, Jacob's troubles. It's not O'Reilly's troubles. It's not Sun Yat-sen's troubles. It's, it's the time of Jacob's troubles because it's really aimed at Israel, and by the end of that seventh year, then they'll not only will they look at him and know um, who was pierced for them, as it talks about in um, Zechariah 12.10, um, but they'll finally say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, just, just like it said at you know, that last verse in uh, Matthew 23. So I just want to talk to you about these three holidays. Um, let's see if we can do a quick click. Nope. Let's see. Oops. I'm goofing up here. Okay. So we're going down. Okay. So Rosh Hashanah is, um, as I said, it's it's. Uh, Commanded in Leviticus 23, it means head of the year. In other words, this is my Rosh, it's a head. And Ha means the, and Shana means year, head of the year. And um, so it calls it a, a feast of the Lord, feasts of the Lord in Leviticus 23. It doesn't say the feast of the Levites, 
And so we can all benefit from it. We can all learn from it. it you know, it's... Um, what I don't have is, is a... Um, here, let's go on. Today's... Okay, okay. So the holiday occurs in the first day of Tishri, and I hope you don't mind me reading, doing a bunch of reading, but um, it occurs in the first day of Tishri. It starts those 10 days of awe. On the last day is Yom Kippur, meaning uh, Feast of Atonement, or you know when God's judgment seals your fate. Well, if God's judgment seals your fate, that's, that's kind of scary because... Uh, Before Rosh Hashanah is the month of Elul that we've talked about in the past 30 days. And so between the 30 days and the 10 days of all, we have 40 days of humility and repentance. And I want to tell you that God loves humility. It's mentioned again and again and again in Scripture so many times. Because with humility comes teachability, you know. Are we willing to do things God's way, or do we insist upon doing it our way? So humility is very important to God, and I want to tell you that no one was as humble as Jesus was, because he was fully God and as well as fully man, and yet he allowed himself to be humiliated on this. I mean, who were these earthlings to judge God himself? You know, we don't have that right. You know, he judges us. But Jesus, to accomplish his mission, was willing to humble himself on the earth as an example and as, you know, someone that were to, you know, follow and be conformed to his image. Um, Jesus would not have washed the disciples' feet. He would not have allowed himself all these transgressions if he wasn't humble. So... If Jesus is representing the Father, then we know that if Jesus was humble, then even the, you know, even the Father, the Heavenly Father, is also humble. So one aspect of repentance should be very familiar to us, which is forgiveness. So we want to forgive those that we have offended, I mean, who have offended us, and anyone who we have offended, we want them to forgive us. And um, this is part of Rosh Hashanah. I mean, this is, a, you know, Jesus was, was, I mean, Jesus mentioned it on, you know, in the Lord's Prayer. You know, he, he said that before we would lay something at the altar that we think about anyone that we may have offended. And, and, um, and this forgiveness requires humility it requires that we both give and receive apologies and that if if it's necessary or if you know that we make restitution or they make restitution for us but the whole idea is that um is that holding ought against others is considered by God to be sin so repentance prayer and righteous acts can avert the decrees of, you know, of God. And when I say this, uh, we don't think, well, if we, if we act righteously, then God won't be mad at us anymore because we know that our righteousness is, 
there's like 12 regs. But in the Rosh Hashanah, you know, that's the theme of Rosh Hashanah, repentance, prayer, and righteous acts. Now, another thing that they say is that God has this really laser-sharp memory. He remembers every way that we've flown it, every way that we've sinned, every way, you know. But I want to tell you that in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, it says that love does not keep a record of wrongs. And if God is love, and he is love, and he is love with, to us, and his love for us is perfect, that he's not keeping a record of wrongs. Instead, he's storing up our treasure, you know, as treasures in heaven, those things that we do right. And, and love does, I mean, hatred doesn't do that. Hatred is always saying, you, I remember that time, but that's not God, because God remembers what we do right, and he's able to wash away what we do wrong and make us white as snow. He does ask us to build our house on the rock by obeying Jesus. It's not for righteousness sake, but you know, who wants to be swayed with the wind? So, so here he is, he's saying, build your house on the rock. We wanna be like Jesus. If we're like Jesus, then we can reign and rule with Jesus because he's not going to allow sedition in his government. The shofar is awakening call, and it's and it's a call, also called the feast of trumpets, and um, and there's actually a hundred blasts. Some of these, like, and I can't remember all the names, but true is one long blast. There's another one that's three. There's another one I believe that's ten. Anyway, when you add up all of them, they add up to a hundred. So it's very carefully orchestrated. It says um, that even though Ryosh, you know, even though Yom Kippur seals the fate, um, you can repent at any time during the year, and you can even repent on your deathbed. Can't imagine, you know, you do a lifetime of evil, and then you repent on your deathbed. Then God, in His, in His mercy, His kindness, His love is willing to accept our repentance and save us from, um, from death. That's awesome. That's more than you and I, I mean, that's more than I'm capable of, but God is, is capable of it. That's what he does. Okay. Tachlit, to cast off sins. And it means you will cast, but... Okay, so let me show you this. Okay, there they are. They're all at the quickly flowing river or the ocean. And um, and tachlit means you will cast, and breadcrumbs are cast into the moving water to symbolize God remaining sin. So, so Micah 7, 18, 19 says, who is a God like you who pardons wrongdoing. God pardons wrongdoing. He passes over a rebellious act of the remnant of his possession, and he does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. 
and he will take pity on us, and he will trample on our wrongdoings. God tramples on our wrongdoings. Yes, and you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. That's where they're forgotten. And, it's, and, and so what we do, you know, is we take these breadcrumbs, you know, we put them in our pocket, we walk to this river or this ocean here, and, um, and we start throwing them into the sea. You know, maybe there's some crumbs of lust, maybe there's some crumbs of envy, maybe the other ones are representing, you know, when we flied or cheated or steal. Some of them, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of, and we start casting these into, and then we watch, we watch God taking these sins away and we remember that we're clean. Now there's a man named Olivia Melnick and um, he's a Jewish believer. <laughs> and so he makes this little um, distinction between crumbs. So he says, well, for ordinary crumbs, you need to use white breadcrumbs. But for the exotic ones, French breadcrumbs. <laughs> and, and for our dark sins, pumpernickel. <laughs> for our complex sins, multigrain. And for twisted sins, pretzels. <laughs> for sins of acting in haste, matzah crumbs. For substance abuse, using marijuana. Stone wheat. <laughs> and for substance abuse using heavy drugs, poppy seed. <laughs> for arson, toast crumbs. And for sins of timidity, milk toast. <laughs> the sin of being ill-tempered, sourdough crumbs. And, and for acting holier than thou, bagel. <laughs> for overeating, we use stuffing crumbs. And for gambling, we use fortune cookie crumbs. And finally, for bad jokes, we use cornbread, corny bread. Yom Kippur. So Yom Kippur is a day of atonement. It's the day that the judgment of God is sealed and made final according to the Talmud, rabbinic teachings. Repentance is complete and the work of the Holy Spirit is done. And the one who dies shortly before Yom Kippur is considered to be on shaky ground because, because all of his sins from that year have not been washed away. But the one who dies shortly after is considered to be blessed. He's very clean, no more sins. Of course, we're always cleansed. We're always cleansed. God sees us. So what's required of the penitent, you know, the one who needs to have their sins, you know, washed away and that? And what's required of the high priest? 
Well, one thing that we have to have washed away is any and all vows and oaths and promises that we make, and they shall be annulled, especially those broken and or entered into rashly. And, and Jesus said, don't, be, um, don't swear by heaven, don't swear by the earth or by Jerusalem, and don't even swear by your own body because we don't have the power to make one hair black or white. Repentance from sin, it can't be flippant. It's got to be done with remorse, with a change of behavior, and with a determination to change. You know, so help us, God. And then from Isaiah, um, he warns us that we need to be caring and sensitive, looking after the less fortunate and oppressed, and this is part of righteousness. And the book of Jonah in many places is read, many synagogues. When we think of Jonah, usually we think of sitting there in a big smelly fish. <laughs> but there is a big lesson in the book of Jonah, and the lesson is that um, these people from Nineveh, they did not deserve to be washed and made white as snow. They did not deserve God's mercy and grace. You know, Nineveh was, was idolatrous. It was hostile. You know, it was the capital of Assyria, and Assyria had taken away the ten lost tribes, you know, I mean, of the north. And yet God, you know, he came and he, and he started preaching, and they repented. And God kept them as a nation for another hundred years until, again, they had fallen into sin. So on Yom Kippur, not only do we fast food and water, we're not allowed to bathe. We're not allowed to brush our teeth. You know, I don't know if we can comb our hair, but, um, <laughs> but anyway. Um, and then, and then to our favorite charity, we'll make a large financial gift. It's just a uh, a way of honoring God. So then, what did the priest do? That is the mercy seat. So here we are in the Holy of Holies and we're looking at the mercy seat. What did the priest do? Well, first of all, he, he would practice the rituals to get everything right for, a few, for like the previous week. And then he had to bathe themselves more than once. I don't know how many times. He had to change his clothes five times. He had to shut the blood of the perfect spotless land to make himself ritually clean, you know, and then he entered the Holy of Holies to anoint the mercy seat with blood and to fill the room with incense. He would place his hand on a goat named Azazel, which is translated scapegoat in English, sorry, and a ribbon, sorry, was tied around its neck, and the sins of the nation, you know, the sins of the nation were laid on its head and then sent into the wilderness. And the priest would next kill a spotless, perfect lamb for the sins of the nation, anointing the corners of the altar of the holy place in the mercy seat in the holy of holies with its blood, 
and that scarlet ribbon, um, that scarlet ribbon would turn white after the lamb was slain, and it was considered to be a sign of God that all of the nation's sins were forgiven. It was absolutely supernatural. He said, this is it, and people would look for that scarlet ribbon to turn white. But something happened. According to the Talmud, not written by Christians, but written by, you know, the rabbis. And they noted in the Talmud that 40 years before the destruction of the temple, this ribbon stopped turning from scarlet to white. And, um, of course, they probably came up with um, some kind of reasons but we know that it's the time that Jesus died. He died around 30 AD and that um and that it was no longer the lamb that could, you know, that could cleanse people of their sins. It was Jesus himself, his sacrifice on the cross. It's very supernatural. So it's not the only supernatural thing that Jesus did. <laughs> He did lots of stuff. But I want to read this to you um, because, and, and maybe all of you know this, maybe there's somebody that doesn't. But there was a decree. Oops. Anyway, sorry, there's a bug. Um, there was a decree made in... 444 B.C. by King Artaxerxes commanding the Israelites to rebuild the walls. And Daniel had, had mentioned in his book, he had mentioned in his book that, um, that there would be six, seven weeks and 62 weeks and then, um, and then a final week, you know, a total of 70 weeks. And, and so from this date that he started rebuilding the walls in 483 B.C., when we add 400, I mean, in uh, 444 B.C., when we add 483 years, which is 69 weeks of years, then it brings us to 30, 32 to 33 A.D., you know, some say it's to the exact day that Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey, and they said Hosanna to him, and um, and then he was crucified. That you know, the pinpointing of his uh, ministry was so precise, hundreds of years in advance. Some say to the exact day. You know, another view is that that you don't take you don't start counting from the 444, you know, in, in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2, but that you use Ezra 7, and and then it takes, you have a little different date, 5, 458 B.C., you add 483 years, and that takes you to when he started his ministry. But the point is, is that, is that we're not to look for another person as the Messiah, because this Messiah, Lord Jesus Christ, this Messiah fulfilled this prophecy exactly. Nobody else can. This is, um, 
Okay. So anyway, um, how about today? How about today? So the temple is destroyed, and how can any you know observant Jew say that? Um, how can any observant Jew say that they're being cleansed from their sins? Well, right after the destruction of the temple, there was this rabbi Zakai, I believe, and he said, "You know what?" We don't need the temple anymore. We'll just pray. We'll study, you know, the Talmud and the Torah. You know, we'll um, we'll do all the right things, and then and then God knows there's no temple, and so He'll absolve us of all of our sins. And um, and so um, part of the temple, and and I went to a Yom Kippur service about three or four years ago, and. Um, they do recite, you know, they offer a lot of prayers and they do recite, you know, um, what the high priest used to do. They just don't use blood. Um, but Leviticus 17.11 says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given you, given for you on the altar to make atonement for your sins for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life of in other words, Leviticus 17.11 says you need to have that blood. And Hebrews 9.19-22 says the same thing. It's an affirmation of that scripture. Let's see here. Okay. Sukkot. Feast, Feast of Tabernacles. Um, so let me just... Whoops. Let me just um, say a couple of things about the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, it's also called the time of the ingathering of the harvest crops or the time of our rejoicing. And why is there a rejoicing? Well, first of all, we, we've just had gone through 40 days. Sorry. We, gosh. Sorry. Trying to get this bug and... He got me. <laughs> um, you know, we've just gone through these 40 days of uh, remorse, remembering our sins, repenting from our sins, and then we've gone to Yom Kippur, and we had the fast, and, uh, and then our, our sins were washed away, and then the ribbon turns white. And, uh, and so, of course, three days later, Sukkot, and it's the time to rejoice. And so you can't be somber on this day. It's a day of joy after 40 days of self-assessment, of repentance. You know, It's also an agricultural holiday. It's the first harvest. I mean, the first fruits is, you know, when, when the first vet, you know, wheat is coming up or something like that from the ground. Um, the early harvest is going to be Shavuot, and the late harvest is going to be Sukkot, and then it's all done. And um, and so it's an agricultural holiday. You know, it's a pilgrim holiday. They're all coming to Jerusalem, and um, they're bringing fruits, they're bringing produce, they're bringing animals, and they're doing all this kind of stuff. And it's a time of rejoicing.
Okay. So these are the sukkot or sukkahs that that um, Donna was talking about. Um, they can be done in the house, but usually they're done outside because that enables us to you know see the stars of the sky, and um, and we see those palm branches on top, but but a lot of a lot of times you're also hanging vegetables or you know whatever some of the produce you know to represent God's harvest and um, three sides you know uh, oftentimes it's backed up against the house and there's another couple sides but at least three sides and then the meals are taken inside just as Donna was saying recalling God's faithfulness you know is um but in the cold weather, um, I mean, when it's in warm weathers, you, you know, you can not only eat out there, but you can study Torah out there or whatever you want. But in the warm weather, you're spending most time in your house. And why would you spend time in your house in the cold weather? It's because Deuteronomy 16:15 says, you shall have nothing but joy. It's a holiday for joy. Not only joy, but hospitality, openness, and a generous spirit. So in the sukkah, they often leave time, you know, there's chairs. They often leave an open space for a visitor, like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Aaron, or David, or for Sarah, or Rebecca, or Rachel, or Leah, or Miriam, or Deborah, or Hannah. And it's... It, it's kind of it's kind of like um, uh, like Passover, you know, with the cup for Elijah, and then there's these processions, you know, in ancient Israel near the temple, they would make these processions because there was also a festival of light and water as part of the last day. The first six days of the seven day holiday, they would make a single, they would walk around and they would play their musical instruments. On the seventh day, they would walk around seven times. And it kind of reminds us of Jericho, you know, when they took the city. And Solomon's temple was consecrated on Sukkot. And the closing prayer is next year in Jerusalem, Hashanah Haba'ah, be Yerushalayim next year in Jerusalem. Okay, so Sukkot is a seven-day-long feast. It's a lot of feasting the first evening, and they are special, but the end of the feast is even more special. In fact, the last day is the height of the festival of Sukkot. Hoshana Rabbah, a request for great salvation, is on the seventh day, followed by Shmini Atzeret, the eighth day of the festival. That's a separate holiday. And then after that, Simchas Torah, the joy of Torah. And maybe you've seen that. Um, we're in you know, by the Western Wall, you know, you, it's, it's like 
you'd lock arm and arm and you start dancing in circles. And I actually did that once. <laughs> I was there and they said, come on, come on. And so, okay. So, you know, you know how, how uh, shy I am. But. So, um, so Yeshua went and he was there. And he went to the Feast of Sukkot. And in John 7, he describes what Jesus, I mean, describes what, Je what Yeshua did. And he did this at a climactic time two years ago. And I want to tell you that um, Israel is a dry land. And it was an agricultural land. And so they were totally dependent upon God providing the rains that, that were needed for their harvests. And in the last day, they were invoking God, saying, we need water. We need water. Be merciful to us. Be kind to us. We need water. So Jesus, anyway, this is called Simchas or Simchat Bet Hashovah. You know, the joy of drawing water. At the time of Jesus, a water ceremony had become part of the tradition of the festival. And it was called Simchat Beit HaShavah, the water drawing festival. The priest would go down in the pool of Siloam in the city of David, just south where the western wall is today. And they would fill a golden vessel with water there. You know, they didn't have running water in those days. And they would go to the temple through the water gate, accompanied by the sound of the shofar. Did you want to sound the shofar? Um, I guess the ten. We're going to get a treat. Awesome, awesome, yay. <laughs> so, so they would go through the, okay, um, just sorry. They would go to the temple through the water gate accompanied by the sound of the shofar. And then they would pour the water so that it flowed over the altar along with wine from another bowl. And this would begin the prayers for rain in earnest. And there was much rejoicing in the ceremony. And here's how the Talmud describes it. It says, he who has not seen the rejoicing in the place of the water drawing has never seen rejoicing in his life. At the conclusion of the first festival day of tabernacles, they descended to the court of the women where they had made a great enactment. And there were four golden candlesticks with four golden bowls on top of each of them, four ladders to each, four ewes drawn from the priestly stock in whose hands were held jars of oil. And there was not a courtyard in Jerusalem that was not illuminated by the light of the place of the water drawing. And then men of piety and good deeds used to dance before them with lighted torches 
and sing songs and praises. And the Levites, without number, were playing harps and lyres and cymbals and trumpets and other musical instruments. And there were the 15 steps leading down from the court of the Israelites to the court of the women, corresponding to the 15 songs of ascents in the Psalms. And the ceremony refers to the passage in Isaiah 12, behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has also become my salvation. And with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And one of the many names for this day is Hoshana Rabbah, meaning the great salvation. And as you know, it's the, the exact word for Jesus. Jesus' name means salvation. And the Hebrew word literally says, with joy you shall draw water from the wells of salvation. So now we go to John 7. Here's Jesus in the middle of the celebration, filled with joy, praying for water for a dry and thirsty land. And he says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus st stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, rivers of living waters will flow from within them. John 7, 37 and 8. So Jesus said, whoever is thirsty would come to him for living water. And he said this something similar to the Samaritan woman. She says, but you don't have a way to, to dip your bucket. <laughs> in, this, in the uh, Beatitudes, it says, um, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they'll be filled. So my question is, Jesus said that he would be living water in us and that we would never thirst. And my question to each of us is, do we have living water in us? And are we ever thirsting? Okay, so um, so as I said in the beginning, you know, you have the seven holidays of God. The first four are really the initiation of the church. The last three are really the salvation of Israel. And the church is, is uh, taken up, as it says in... Um, in First Thessalonians 4, that will be brought up or taken up just as Jesus was. On the prophetic calendar, many blow the, you know, the shofar, as Stephanie just did. And, uh, you know, some Christians think, well, we'll be raptured on the, on the, um, on Rosh Hashanah, you know, the Feast of Trumpets. Others say, well, you know, you can't, predict the hour or the day, and so why are you trying to predict the day? However that works, <laughs> however that works. Um, we can predict at least the, the, a season, you know, based on, on things that happen. 
And the time between the rapture and the cleansing of the church from all sin was promised in Jeremiah 31, in, in Zechariah 12, and Romans 11. You know, it happens at the end of the tribulation. The time is called the time of Jacob's troubles. The tribulation is a time of great humbling. And I want to tell you that we don't meet the Lord unless we've humbled ourselves. I know we've talked about that, but when I would go into the jail, uh, doing jail ministry for a year, you know, the picture that always um, came to my heart was that um, it's only when we, when we stumble and we fall into a deep hole and uh, we know that we've blown it or we know that life is too hard for us or we know something like that. And finally, we have sense enough to turn over and to look up. The only way that you can um, see a way of escape is by looking up. And when we look up, we look right into the face of God. So when Jesus returns on his white horse in glory, and of course, we're all behind him on our own horses, and, and they say it's better to look at the back of Jesus' head than to look at the front. Because when he comes back, he'll come with great fury, fire from his eyes, sword from his mouth, reclaiming this earth from, you know, from the Antichrist and all the evil that's done here and bringing us into the millennial kingdom. And when he returns on that white horse in great glory, they'll believe in him. I mean, at least, you know, Israel and, and a multitude from around the world, from every tribe, kindred, nation. And following the moment is the thousand-year reign, and this is the great sukkah for us. This is the great, or sukkot for us. This is the great time of tabernacles when all of us will tabernacle in the new Jerusalem, and Jesus will be among us. He'll be will be tabernacling with God. I just want to mention eight, eight current signs that suggests, or ten current signs that suggest a near return. You know, um, before I read this list, I know that some are believing in a um, a great revival around the world before. And some believe, you know, that it's going to be after the rapture. And I want to give the, you the answer that I have. I don't know. <laughs> I just don't know. You know, I, I, I know that there will be some a, a revival afterwards because it's spoken of in, in Matthew 24. But I'm not going to put any limits on God. So 10 signs of a soon return. One is the corruption of morality and the decrease of ethics all over the world. We especially see it in the West. Another is the, the rise of deceit. And we see this in the, the government. We see this in journalism. We see it in our schools and colleges. We see it in many places where people can no longer distinguish truth from error. We see through Davos and through um, the globalists, attempts to create a one-world government. 
we see a, we see a kind of technology that's able to track each of us. We see the implementation of a digital currency that's programmable, that's able to, to block us if they decide that our social credit score is too low, then they may block us you know, from certain things that we would otherwise do. We see the rebirth of Israel after 1900 years in fulfillment of Ezekiel 37 and 30, 36 and 37, the Valley of Dry Bones. We see Jerusalem reunited and in Jewish hands. We see the strategic military alliance of Russia and Iran and, and, and Turkey. But you know, Russia and Iran have never been friends. They've always been adversaries until the last few years. We see Israel's efforts to rebuild the Third Temple. They've created plans. They've um, you know, they've, they, they practice the ceremony, they've rebuilt the, I believe they've rebuilt the candlestick and even the Ark of the Covenant and all that kind of stuff. You know, they don't have the land yet, they can't rebuild because that, they won't be able to rebuild until the Antichrist actually negotiates the deal, which com could come after a war. You know, there's, um, there's continuing calls to divide the land, which reminds us of um, the curse that will come on all nations, spoken of in Joel 3, verse 2. And we see the partial lifting of the veil of the Jewish people. In other words, there were centuries where not a single Jew was ever saved. You know, when, when Israel was reestablished as a nation, there were only, you know, a few people. But now there's more than 30,000 in Israel. There's, you know, there's probably at least 100 messianic um, fellowships or churches or whatever you call it, synagogues. And um, so we see the veil starting to lift that was on the people for so many years. And um, so I want to pray for this congregation. Father God, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your kindness. I thank you for your might and for your power. And you don't keep it to yourself, Lord God. Instead, you reign it upon us. And you also work through us, Lord God. And we can have words that are your words. And if our words are your words, then the power that's planted in those words come through us in salvation of this dying world. Father God, I thank you for each person here. I thank you for their faith walk. I thank you for for, um, for their spouses and for their children and grandchildren, Lord. I just pray, Father God, that, that all of our progeny, our friends, our family, Lord, that they would be saved and that, um, that you would also use us. I just pray your blessing on this church, Shekinah International, that we would fulfill our mission, Lord, Whatever the calling is, that mission is, Lord God, that we would not fall short, that you would give wisdom to the leadership, Lord God, that you would give grace and mercy to us, Lord God, that you would, um, you would just empower us to complete what you have started in us. And we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, Lord. We pray for the salvation of the people of Israel, and we pray for the salvation of the world, Lord God. We pray that, that nobody would slip through your fingers, Lord God. 
that um, that people would turn to you, and we we pray for great salvation. And finally, oops, sorry, <laughs> I scared myself. <laughs> um, finally, I I do have the ironic blessing, if that's okay with you. It says, "Yivrechecha Adonai v'yishmerecha, Yar Adonai panav lecha." The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord to make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. God bless you. Thank you for listening today. Take a moment and ask Holy Spirit what He wants you to do with what you've learned. And remember, with God, all things are possible. So keep dreaming, keep praying, and simply obey. Because God is good, and He has good plans for you. You can subscribe to our blogs, Learn about our speakers and even hear from one of our team members how you can take part in transforming a city, your city with Christ. There's no time like the present. Visit ShekinahOnline.com. If this doesn't excite you, watch for our new and God-inspired product line, a newly released book by Stephanie Butler, more testimonies from our listeners like you, working to bring unity in cities across the world. If you feel led to support our podcast, you may do so on our Shekinah.com website. Or if you would like to support us monthly, there is a link labeled Listener Support on every podcast. Until next time, we thank you, we love you, have a blessed day.